0: But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow gonna be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary.
1: After that first day, when they say you have cancer,
0: there's a new person born. You know, There's this thing called new normal. I, th- I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is gonna be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late.
1: Welcome to The Reach Podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors, and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey, we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Reach Podcast. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk about the Exercise Oncology Twitter Conference, so if you've been following us on Twitter or you've kind of been listening to some of the previous podcast episodes, you'll be aware that we kind of set up this uh, Exercise Oncology Twitter conference with the goal of getting researchers from all over the world to come together and share their research and, and bring that Exercise Oncology community even closer together. And uh, man, it has it taken off. I mean, I knew it was going to be, to be good and it was going to be big. I didn't know it was going to be this big. So we've got... Over sixty abstracts, and we've got some of the some of our keynote speakers are are some of the world leaders in exercise oncology, um, and it's just it's phenomenal to see how well and and how supportive everyone's been and how much everyone's jumped on board with it. Some people are even pre- presenting original data, so I think for us to see that response and to see everyone following along, it's really confirmed what we taught in. And thinking that this is is going to be the future of the way a lot of conferences are held, and to be a part of that and to be kind of one of the first in the oncology space is really really exciting. So if you haven't already and you want to participate, and um, you can find all of the information on our web website at exonctc.com. That's exonctc.com. Jump on there, and there's a load of information on. You know, more information on what the program is, uh, when it is. It's on October 11th, uh, US Central Time. And it gives you more information on uh, how you can register. Please do register if you haven't. That gives us a lot of information about how many people are involved. Um, if you don't register, of course, you can follow along on the day using our hashtag. But it would be really appreciative. We would be really appreciative if you could register just to let us know where you're from, what you do, why you're tuning in, all that stuff. The program will be announced sometime in the next few days after this goes out. So uh, the information will be on the website. It will be on the Twitter uh, page as well, TC, And obviously, you know, myself, Sarah and Keith will be retweeting and, and getting that information out there. But some of the abstracts, I mean, it's just some of the latest and greatest in exercise oncology and some really, really uh, excellent studies. Some of the keynote speakers have phenomenal concepts that they're bringing. And I think it's just going to do such a great job of, elevating our field even more, giving us more exposure, connecting researchers to clinicians, to practitioners, to patients and survivors and it's going to be such a great event. Um, October 11th again, tune in if you can. If you can't make it on the day, you can either follow the hashtag backwards and it will give you the full thread of the conference or you can look for the program details after the fact. We'll probably release... Um, the full program a few weeks after the conference once we get everything organized. So again, thank you for all your support in that avenue. And, and if you can, jump on the website, ExxonTC, or reach out to myself, Keith or Sarah, on Twitter, and we'll do our best to answer any questions you have. As far as today's episode goes, I'm really, really excited to talk or, or let you hear my conversation with Morton Quist, um, I've followed his work for a long time and I only just got the chance to meet him this past year at ACSM Um, Morton is a researcher at the University Hospital of Copenhagen in Copenhagen Denmark and has done some incredible work in exercise and lung cancer and um, particularly with advanced lung cancer and he he just he brings a wealth of clinical experience to the research game and he's got such a great perspective on creating the culture and environment of training individuals with cancer um, you'll hear that he, he actually trains with them in some of the the exercise studies and he talks a lot about um you know the attitude you you have to have and and the the need for us to give them a support of positive environment instead of kind of being doom and gloom all the time so we talk a lot about that in his research kind of how he got set up we also talk about how his research led to individuals in Denmark who are going through chemotherapy getting access to free exercise sessions. So, you know, to me, I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal of our research is to have our research translate into tangible changes within the medical community, within the exercise oncology community, to have this freely available to all. So to, to have that at such an early stage of his career is just so exciting for him and he's also got some incredible community exercise programs where he takes individuals of cancer whether they're patients or survivors they go cycle up mountains they go do 5ks and races together and um, again it's all built around this idea of community and support and and doing positive things and experience life as opposed to doom and gloom and and you know individuals of cancer are reminded all the time that they're going through treatment and they're going to experience all these negative side effects and you know it, it can be heavy so it was such a refreshing conversation for me to chat to Martin about his perspective about what he's done and, and just the incredible impact he's had in his own country um, in you know just about 10 years of, of working in this space so uh, it was a great conversation for me thanks again Martin to, to jumping on the show um, and other than that I'll shut up and just enjoy the conversation again Exxon TC October 11th talk to you then your background is really interesting. You've kind of got a mix of clinical and research um, background. I think that informs a lot of what you do right now. So let's start with kind of your background and and um, what it is and how you got into the field of the cancer.
0: Well, it, it was kind of a coincidence. Um, I was uh, working at a huge hospital here in, in Copenhagen, and uh, back in '99. Uh, I was asked to do a program for male cancer patients. Some were in treatment, some weren't. Uh, And the only reason they asked me was because I was a male myself. (laughs) So um, at the moment, I didn't have a clue about, um, yeah, of course I knew how to to exercise and, and set up some programs. The idea of that program was to create something that uh, these male would think could be interesting to continue with. So this was a 16-week uh, program, and every other Thursday we, we got these men together, and then they did uh, table tennis one day, walking another day, uh, uh, biking a third, and then we just tried to, to give them something different every Thursday we, we had them. And there were two researchers on this program that evaluated the program. And after those 16 weeks, they they said to me, well, we're trying to to write some grants and we want to do exercise for cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, sure. uh, Knowing that this would never happen. So suddenly back in 2001, uh, they called me. And said they got they got these these grants now, so if I was interested, um, I could come to to them and and we'll have a short meeting. And I actually thought I was going to a job interview, and then I ended up in in this project group, and it was never a job interview. That was more okay. When can you start? Um, what do you think we should do? And then this was in march 2001 and in april we started the first program uh, program called body and cancer and that was a six weeks program for all types of uh, patients Uh, their only inclusion criteria was uh, that they had to be in chemotherapy and then have to have their first series of chemotherapy and it was kind of huge at that time because Uh, When we went to the the Danish Cancer Society, they actually told us, they they rejected one of our grants saying that it was impossible for cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy to be active. So so when we started that program, we suddenly realized that these patients were capable of doing much more than we thought they actually could. So we did uh, this six-week program four days a week. Uh, a combination of strength training and uh, cardiovascular training. We had relaxation training, massage, body awareness training. We we wanted to create something uh, um, that we also thought were great ourselves. So um, during the cardiovascular training, we wanted something that we knew would would improve. Um, uh for for healthy people so doing doing this program we went to some exercise physiologists just getting the approval saying that if we do high intensity training with this group of patients will that be a problem and of course no one could could give us a precise answer because no one have ever tried it in in this group of patients but one one of the the persons we went to was Ben Salteen. I don't know the the old Swedish guy. Uh, Professor Saltine, did a lot of research in in all uh, types of of both healthy and and patients. Um, and he had some uh, experience within HIV patients or AIDS patients. So he wasn't that afraid of us trying to do that high intensity thing because. Um, they could probably just do what they were capable of. So uh, the first group we had back in, in 2001, we, we gave them something like 10 to 15 minutes hard uh, interval training where we tried to to uh, push them as hard as we could. They were all wearing heart rate monitors. At that time, that was for safety. Today, it's more that we know uh that they will be in the, the right target when we train them. So so after three groups, I think it took us something like half a year or more, more than half a year. Um, we published the, the pilot study, and of course we, we didn't find any adverse reactions at all to this exercise training. And then, well, it just kept on and on and on. Today it's implemented so all patients in Denmark uh receiving chemotherapy are um are having the choice to participate in, in group training like that. Really? Um yeah. Is that so, a is so, that a
1: product of that trial?
0: Yeah, it that is. That is really, really uh, the same the same Cancer Society that rejected our program, they bought it like seven years after. No way. So so um now, it's it's presented for, for all patients undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, at that time, we divided the patients into if you had uh, evidence of disease or no evidence of disease, meaning that no evidence of disease were, were patients like breast cancer patient in adjuvant treatment or evidence of disease were, were patients like uh, uh, patients with uh, incurable lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, and, and, and stuff like that. Um, what we did find for our randomized trial at that time uh, was that uh, we saw an improvement or, or reduction of fatigue um, compared to those two groups. We had a, a wait list control group. So uh, people that uh, signed up or, or gave informed consent to, to the program were, offered to, to participate in the program after they have been in the control group because uh, quite fast after our inclusion and when we started to randomize people, uh, people were dropping out if they weren't in the, in the intervention group. So, so we really had to, to find a way to still keep them in, in the program and and that's actually something we've been struggling with in in other programs we have been doing because uh it's it's been a main thing for cancer patients at least in in denmark i think in other countries as as well that they know it's good to be active and and therefore it's it's quite difficult to randomize them to nothing um
1: yeah that seems to be the the case kind of all over especially when we're recruiting we do such a, go- a good job of selling how important exercise is, and then after all that, we say, uh, "Sorry, you don't get any of this."
0: Yeah, that's 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 really a huge problem because when you participate or when you uh, want to participate in, in, in a program like that, you you participate because you want to be active, not because you want to be a control group. Yeah. Um, so. Um, after after this program, um, and we included—I can't remember the exact amount—but that was over 200 patients—and uh, published it back in in 2009. Um, I was I was kind of curious that we only saw uh, like colon cancer, breast cancer, and and one of the big ones, lung cancer. We didn't see any of them. Uh, I think out of of All the included patients we have in in that first trial, only 10 or 12 were were lung cancer patients, and they were all um, in in what we called no evidence of disease. So I started to to get an interest in in this group. Uh, And at at that time, there was some some interesting studies from COPD patients showing that they could could gain or, or at least improve their functional capacity in, in walking programs, in cardiovascular programs. And, and I started to get the idea that, that this might be applied to patients with lung cancer as well. So back in, in, in eight or nine, I can't remember exactly when it was, I uh, applied some grants to, to see if we could start a program for, for patients with lung cancer. And, um, well, lung cancer patients is, is kind of divided into a small group that is curable and a huge group that is uh, not curable. And my attention was definitely on the non-curable part to begin with because I felt if, if they were in such a poor shape as they were in, uh, it would be easier for us to help them. Uh, compared to the group that were in adjuvant treatment. Um, so so the program had to be for patients that couldn't be cured. So so our inclusion criteria in this program was for patients that was inoperable. The program we had for, for all the other patients were a, a six-week program. But when we asked patients with lung cancer why Uh, they couldn't participate in this six-week program. They said to us that, well, six weeks was okay, but four times a week, that was too much. Um, So we still want the same amount of exercise to these patients. So we created a 12-week program, but only twice a week. And instead of, of having the massage and body awareness training, we cut it down to cardiovascular training, strength training, and relaxation training. So um, that program were, were twice a week, uh, two hours each time. And instead of doing warm-up as we did in the other program on the floor, uh, one of the main, main goals in, in the warm-up was actually doing something that was funny. So uh, doing all sorts of, of games or of, of playing, but still having the patience to perform and, at quite a high level. That was that was an important thing, and and I tried that to begin with with the patients with lung cancer, and that was also almost impossible, um, because uh, them standing up just just uh, playing uh, hockey or, or field hockey in in a small room, and then I actually played it with some of the patients to begin with. The good thing about having a ball is they forget that they are tired or fatigue, but at a moment, at a time when I did that, there were more patients lying on the floor than standing. So, <laughs> so we, we started to, to think that, okay, we need to do something on stationary bikes to some sort of a warm-up. Uh, so, what we do now and what we did at that time was warm-up for like 10 to 20 minutes, uh, still doing uh, a fairly high intensity, um, especially for these patients. Um, the, the aim of, of the cardiovascular training, both the warm-up and, and the cardiovascular part afterwards, is to reach a highest level as possible. So So we don't tell the patients that they uh, when we start an interval, for instance, where we, we put uh, some more weight on the, on the bike, we don't tell them to put uh, what they are capable of. We're saying you have to put as much on as possible so you can pedal it around. Knowing that when we say that, they will, in their own head, they will have a small barrier in their own head saying, well, I'm not capable of of doing the exact thing he's saying, but I'm putting as much on as possible. And then they'll probably, when we look at the heart rate, they will be targeted at something around... 70 to 90% of their heart rate. Um, but if we do a program where we tell them uh, the target is that you have to be on 70 to 90% of your heart rate, they will never reach it because they will still be in their head saying that if we want to be on like 70 on our heart rate, they will probably be on 50 or 60. So so we really try to tell them to, to push themselves self as much as possible and and what what we found is that we will actually get closer to the target we want to train them on instead of saying now you have to be at a certain level for a certain time
1: i love that does piece, it make sense yeah i love that because that same apprehension that patients have of if you say 90 percent of of max it, it's pretty intense so there, there is that apprehension like I don't know if I can get to that I think there's the same apprehension amongst practitioners when they're talking about delivering exercise um, there's a fear of high intensity exercise I think and you, you probably have more experience talking about this than, than most people but can you speak a little bit about some of the, the misconceptions or fear that you've seen or heard about high intensity exercise in in cancer populations
0: well, when we began this program, um, we have always had a nurse and uh, a physio uh, participating together or, or doing the group training together. Um, and before patient starts, we have some sort of a screening. We look at blood pressure. We look at uh, the heart rate. We look at uh, their temperature, if they have a fever and, and such. And we always ask them how they are feeling. So, if they, on a specific day uh has uh, let's say a higher blood pressure than normal, and when we ask them how they feel and they say well i I feel just like normal, nothing would really happen. but if they come to us and say well i'm not i'm I'm not feeling that good today um and when we look at the heart rate and we look at the blood pressure and they are kind of high. Well, we'll tell the patient, well, today you have to be a bit more careful. You have to, to slow down a bit. And we have, of course, uh, we are more caution about following them around during the training. And that's why we always do. So when we start the group training on stationary bikes, for instance, if, if the nurse knows that that this patient has to be a bit more cautious than normal. Well, his or her eyes would be a bit more on that patient. But but we always try to to give them the opportunity to participate as much as they actually can. So when we do the high intensity training, we 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 of course always know what state uh, they are in. Um, and, and another example, when we began, the nurses wanted a bed to be in the exercise room. And that bed standed untouched for like six or seven years. And all <laughs> our physio said to the nurses, could it be okay to remove the bed now? And they looked at us and say, okay, we've never <laughs> used it. So, of course, we have had some experience, but people uh, getting sick, sitting on the bike. And, and again, that's why we are two. So So the nurse will just gently uh, help the patient so it won't affect the other patients. because when you're sitting in a group and if if one patient starts to uh, be sick, this could affect the rest of the group them being afraid of pushing themselves. Yeah, so so we always try not neglecting um, the state that the patients are in, but always, trying to to, uh, give them um, some sort of a signal that it's okay to push yourself. Uh, And we we actually did that from the beginning and and we have never had any serious adverse events uh, during exercise training. We have a a few that had some some cramps uh, because of metastasis to the brain no one knew of, but that has never been... During exercise, that has actually been um, when when patients were were more concentrated uh, during uh, um, after the, the body awareness training, uh, like 15 minutes after, one of the patients suddenly had had a a cramp. Um, but but as I said before, have never seen it during the strength exercises. Never seen it during uh, the cardiovascular part.
1: I think that's a really important point because uh, I think you kind of highlighted as long as there's adequate monitoring and it's in a safe environment, there there's nothing inherently dangerous to someone with cancer to do high intensity uh, exercise. You know, if you do proper screening and and the people are low risk for adverse events, you you might see similar stuff like if anyone was to do high intensity exercise, it's okay to get tired sometimes you might push yourself too hard like all these things are natural parts of of exercise but also with lung cancer in particular you know some of them their condition is so low that just walking up (laughs) and up a stairs is is high intensity to them
0: yeah and and um and that's why we have the stationary bikes uh that's a whole mental part of of this that that it's it's very seldom described because imagine you just left the doctor he told you that you had an incurable lung cancer uh don't go on the internet because if if you google incurable lung cancer you know that you probably have a a a life perspective for something that is like a year or or in, in the good cases two year and then you you reach a nurse or a physio that tells you that you can be in this exercise program. And when you are sitting on the bikes, they are shouting at you. They are pushing you as much as possible. It's it's very difficult to see yourself as dying when someone is shouting at you (laughs) on the bike, uh, when someone is pushing you in in the strange machines. So so our approach is really important for, for these patients because... Of course, everybody in the room knows that if you haven't seen a patient for like, they, they participate in 12-week uh, program, and, and we have kind of like an, a running inclusion. And sometimes you only see a patient for the first five or six weeks, and you never see them again. And of course, the nurse and the physio, we know what happened. Um, and of course, the other patient starts thinking, I wonder why I haven't seen him or her uh, for a long while and and yes in in most cases that's because they are dead um, so so they really know what what game they are in um, so our approach to them that well nothing is impossible before we tried and if it seems to be a bit impossible we will make it possible for you we will put some weight off the bike we will make sure that that will uh, push you on the bike, not with a lot of, of weight on the bike, but maybe with um, higher pedaling or higher rounds per minute instead. Um, but really means something for them that we don't treat them as lung cancer patients. And that's that's maybe the the most important thing uh, I have to say about these patients. Never treat them like lung cancer patients. Treat them like Someone that needs to have some improvement, cardiovascular and strength—that's um, that's probably more important.
1: That's such a such a good point, and I agree with you. That's probably the most important point you'll make because what I've seen, you know, there, people are more at risk of dropping our program because it's boring. Because we yeah. we baby foot around them and we give them a, pro- you know, oh well, they're old and. You know they've got cancer, and you know people want to be able to be pushed. You know if they're coming to your clinic and they're exerting themselves more just getting to your clinic than what they're going to do in there. You know your exercise has got to be is purposeful and for a specific outcome. And and you know you can talk about the psychology of it, but the the enjoyment of pushing yourself and as you said, a lot of these people that realise how much more they can do than what they think is is really powerful
0: also don't I mean don't don't come and make them um let them meet some some sad eyes looking at them saying oh I feel sorry for you you have lung cancer well they are entitled to have proper training so when they they come to to um to to our training we really want them to be pushed and of course some days some are uh, not performing that well and that's just how it is but but it's better to do something for let's say 5 or 10 minutes instead of doing nothing and th- and that's what we're trying to tell them as well so if if they meet up as you said before just showing up will actually give them some sort of training so so we have some traveling an hour one and a half hour they meet up and they are fatigued, like, yeah, um, and they they just sit in the machines and, and are probably only doing um, 50% of, of one RM. But and, and they look at us and say, oh, for a week ago, I can do much more. And we just look at them and say, well, the alternative today was that you stayed home. You're actually here and you, you're doing something, and that's way better than staying home doing nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and especially especially for these patients, because some when when uh, we apply for some big grants, some sometimes when some foreign reviewers they look at us and say, why should incurable lung cancer patient with a life expectancy of maybe twelve to fifteen months why should they be active and and i always reply like how how would you die would (laughs) you stay in bed for like half a year not doing anything just lying and waiting to die or would you be as active as possible so independent as possible uh, capable of doing stuff you you normally do and then suddenly you maybe have a week or two lying in bed and that's it and and I, I really think that this is so important for this group that that you don't look at them saying, "Well, you're bound to die anyway, so we won't do anything for you," because again, that's the psychological part of this. We, we our approach to that that we're actually telling them that we're not giving them a false hope that they will live forever, because no one no one will, but but we'll actually tell them that. If if you participate as much as you can, there's a good chance that you can be as active as possible for as long, to- a long time as possible.
1: You've said it a couple of times there, kind of the whole idea of not giving them sad eyes and not, you know, not kind of uh, feeling sorry for them. That is such a big point that needs to be better or, or more well known because they're going through so much in the rest of their life when they come to you whether it's in a clinic or in research it's meant to be fun you know what i mean it's meant to to be enjoyable and they want to look forward to coming to you and to to working out they don't want another reminder that they're going through this and it's awful and sure there's times where you might need to uh talk to them and and be that kind of ear that they need to bounce off of but for the most part you know they want to be treated like a normal person not this this puppy that
0: you're exactly.
1: sorry
0: for. Yeah, exactly. And that that was when we started this program back in 2001. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't see a program in the TV. You couldn't open a newspaper if if it had cancer or, or one of the the headings was cancer. It was all about how awful it was. Uh, people getting chemotherapy was losing your hair and then dying so when i started back in 2000 2001 that was actually what i thought it would be like training cancer patients everybody was telling oh it must be hard it must be this it must be that and then i realized some of these patients were capable of doing more than i actually could yeah so um that that uh resulted in that a good colleague of mine uh, we created a, a cancer society for, at that time, it was for, for young cancer patients, because we really wanted the world to see that even though you have had cancer, that wasn't meaning that that you were bound to, to die. Uh, that was before the financial crisis. So we contacted a, a huge medical company called uh, Russia. And they provided us with a million Danish kroner. That's something like $215,000 or something like that. Uh, And then we took 13 patients to climb Kilimanjaro and participate in um, adventure race down in Tanzania, Kilimanjaro. Uh, We climbed Kilimanjaro, uh, ride 250 kilometers of mountain bike and ran the Kilimanjaro marathon and did it all in nine days
1: and really and we cool. wanted
0: we we wanted to do that because we really want to show the world that that it was possible for patients to do things that not even healthy people could do um and and that was that ended up being a tv program um and and the sad thing was the cutter of of, of that program wanted to have the sad eyes version of it yeah. So so he presented like three patients and we, we followed them through two programs. And it was not about them climbing Kilimanjaro uh, during the mountain biking and the marathon. It was more about all the tough things they have been through. Uh, so so we, we kind of got devoted into we want the Danish Cancer Society, we want the media to realize that that being a cancer patient is not always dying or um, or, or being uh, losing all hair and, and not being capable of doing anything. So, so since that we have created a, a cancer society for uh, uh, people that in one or another way uh, is affected by cancer. So it's also for for patients, partners, uh, sons, daughters. Uh, it's all about being active. And, and one of the main targets of these cancer societies is that you have to set yourself a goal. It could be running 5K for the first time. It could be uh, doing an, a full distant Ironman. Um, but the most, most important thing is that we help people setting a goal. And then we help them training towards that goal. Uh, I think this year we had seven that did a full Ironman in Copenhagen. I think in all since that, there have been at least uh, 15 to 17 patients that have done a full Ironman. We have a, a lot of marathons. Uh, some have, have done some kayaking uh, and some have done some some 5Ks, half marathons and, and things like that. So, so, These these cancer societies are are actually working quite good today and just growing to be bigger and bigger, uh, run by the patients themselves. Uh, My colleague and I had just, we we are in the background. Uh, We're not in the the steering committee of of the cancer societies now, but but we're still uh, there for kind of like an uh, advisory group um, so, uh, these group perform every year. They, they have some training camps. We have a training camp in, um, uh, uh on Mallorca and Mediterranean Island, uh, where we do biking for a week, do something like 60 to 120 case per day. Uh, so it's around 70, oh, not 77 to to eight hours a day, people biking, uh, there's another training camp where you can do all sorts of activity in, in this uh, sports facility called the Santa Sport that's down on uh, one of the Canary Islands in the Atlantic. Um, so every year we, we kind of uh, get groups together and and make them uh, go on a training camp like that. Uh, my colleague is doing the, the La Santa Sport and I'm doing the Mallorca biking every year. Um the first year we were like, and that was eight years ago, we were 13 patients participating. The second year, we, we sponsored 13 again. And then some from the year before that was sponsored, paid themselves. And that just grow and grow and grow. The group we went with uh, didn't want to do the trip anymore. And this year we were 60 former cancer patients and currently cancer patients going to Mallorca. Next year, we have pre-booked 80 seats. We wow. we will have some some from Norway, some from Holland. Uh, we might have some from Canada, from, from Christine Campbell and Sarah Welles uh, group. So this is kind of uh, involved to, to uh, uh, grown to, to a kind of huge thing. And the main goal on Mallorca is to climb the highest mountain, uh, of course, on a bike. And that's 14 Ks with an average of 6%. Um, and, and that's the main goal. Every patient uh, or survivor will climb that uh, on the same day. So uh, we we kind of taking the the not sending them sad eyes to another level um, and and the main goal again is to that these patient has to set themselves a goal and that's the same approach we want to do in our projects as well
1: that's really really cool i want to um to come back to the to the organization because i want to give people information on how to join but the, yeah. the sad eyes is really important because even in advanced stage cancer and even people who who are coming to terms with dealing with 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 death and all that stuff a lot of them are still in really good spirits, and some of them are even accepting of their fate, so it's not necessarily that even when you train them it's all doom and gloom. you know a lot of these people have you know particularly what I've worked with in metastatic prostate cancer they're they're kind of older they've lived a good life and and they feel good where they're at. It's not necessarily that it's always talk about death and it's it's all you know kind of sadness
0: well it's 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 never. Uh, they never talk about death. Sometimes they do. And they, we have groups for like 15 to 20, uh, patients participating. And sometimes you can see them talking like two and two, just, uh, more serious talks. Uh, but we never try to, to create talks about that. It's always about being active and what is happening around the world in general. It's not a, about it's not about chemotherapy it's not about dying or, or being a patient it's more about how every day is is, is working out for these patients uh, so this is kind of like um, a, a safe place for them where the only eyes they meet is is eyes that know what they are thinking or how they are feeling so if if they get some some eyes of uh, some pity eyes i mean that will be for another patient just saying okay i know exactly what you're going through um but that's just a stage of of contact me and i'll help you Uh, it's never oh i feel sorry for you because you have cancer because everybody's got cancer and everybody's got incurable cancer, um, and and that's also how they deal when someone gets back saying that ah, oh, I had a relapse. Um, uh, they found a metastasis in my liver or wherever that new metastasis is. Uh, so I have to start a new treatment. Or I have to start immunotherapy or whatever. And they can always get. They can always get some um uh what do you call it? not not pity but but support. they they will yeah they will get some support from the other patients but we would never go into to the gym or into to the stationary bikes with that saying okay you had a relapse then we have to take care of you blah 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 no we'll still go to the bike saying well yeah I know that's that's sad of course we won't say it like that but you still need to do your exercises. And today, you have to push it on the bike, just like you do every day. So, so the focus on the bikes will still be on, well, your, your level today might be a little lower. So when you push yourself as hard as you can, that might be a little lower than it was two weeks ago. But you still have to push yourself as hard as you can because... We know that's uh, beneficial for you.
1: So let's th- talk about the the Cancer Society and and the group that you're doing these kind of adventures with. Um, what is it called? Who is it for? How can people get more information on that?
0: Uh, yeah, and that's that's of course a bit a bit more difficult because uh, it, it, it's a Danish thing, and I only think the website is is in Danish. Uh, but <laughs> but the can the cancer. Cancer Society is called Pact. P-A-C-T. Physical activity after cancer treatment, and that was that was a research program we had where we we trained people uh, once a week, and then they had to do some exercises themselves, and we followed them for a year. And and after that program, uh, and after we have done that, proof of life with the young uh, patients we made that being carried forward because the patients want something that they could still participate in. Every year, we we write out to our members saying that, well, Mallorca is in May. If you want to participate, send me an email and, and they have to send an email to me. Um, and we sponsor 13 to 14 patients. Uh, we get money from something called La Flamme Rouge, which is formed by a former professional rider, Brian Holm. He's also a sports director for this uh, professional cycling team called Quickstep. Uh, and he raised uh, around uh, 30 to 14, $40,000 every year, hand them to Pact, which hand them to me. And then I'll take, take these 13 to 14 patients We'll sponsor a full trip for them to Mallorca, and out of those 80 pre-booked seats, uh, the rest will be something that patients pay, pay for themselves. Uh, so, so to be part of this, you have you probably have to send me an email because then I'll see if I can provide uh, with some of the network I have in in around the world about uh, physios or. Um, uh, exercise physiologists that that know about cancer training um, to see if it's possible to to participate in this. Uh, for the moment, they have to pay themselves. Uh, if you are from abroad or not from Denmark, but uh, this Norwegian guy, he had an stage four lung cancer, um, and that was saying that that you can participate even though you out of treatment or still in treatment. It all depends on your insurance company. But this Norwegian guy, he couldn't care less about his insurance. He wants to participate. And and he wanted to climb that mountain. That was his main goal. And he did. Of course, we held him along the way. Uh, we pushed him when it was necessary. We told him to, to break the... the the 14 case up in small bits. uh, What we normally tell some of these patients is that you can compare it to when you start your chemotherapy. If you look at your chemotherapy as seven cycles, it's kind of like something that is unreachable. Those seven cycles is kind of like that will last forever. And that's how the 14 case will will last if you think of them as 14 k's. So you might take one or two k's, have a break, one or two k's again, have a break, and before you know it, you're standing on the top. And and he actually ended up on on the top, with tears in his eyes, just knowing that he set a goal and he reached it. Uh, and that's really something that, that yeah.
1: Really, really cool. Um... One of things that you kind of mentioned, we, we talked about at the start, I really want to go back to is all patients during chemo uh, getting the opportunity to exercise in uh, Denmark. Yeah. How does that work? Like, What's the structure? Do all hospitals have facilities? How is it funded? All that type of stuff.
0: Well, um, we, we are one of the main hospitals in the Copenhagen area. And uh, we have the facilities and we do a lot of research there. uh The research group I'm, I'm working in, we're looking at all sorts of, of programs for, for patients undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, our welfare system gives you, well, we pay high taxes. So all treatment is, is free. Um, uh, rehabilitation is free. Um we divide it into something we call specialized rehabilitation or just rehabilitation in general. If, if you are entitled to uh, general uh, rehabilitation, you can go to your municipality municipalities, and I think we have 99 in Denmark. They will have some sort of training facilities and, and groups you can participate in. Uh, the specialized rehabilitation is when you're undergoing chemotherapy. And at the moment, all major Cancer hospitals in Denmark will provide. Uh, the program is called Body and Cancer, uh, and you have to contact the Body and Cancer group if you want to participate. So, so if you want to be active during your chemotherapy, you can contact Body and Cancer, and they will provide um, a group training for you. There are of course some some exclusion criteria at the moment. Um if you have bone metastasis in weight-bearing bones, um you're only allowed to participate if your doctor clears it. Uh, if you have brain metastasis as well, the doctor has to clear if that's okay. Um we actually have seen some patients that that uh, have some brain metastasis and that we had to exclude. Not that we thought it would be dangerous for them to be active, but that was more in respect for the rest of the group because if one group sees a patient cramping on the floor doing some exercises, it could be really difficult to get them back in the machines and on the bikes again because they're terrified of of seeing someone cramping. So, so it's not because we're cautious for that specific patient. It's more for, for the rest of the group, actually.
1: What is the mechanism there with, with brain metastases and cramping?
0: We don't know. Um, my hypothesis is if if the brain has to, some sort of, of there's an overload. I'm not sure if, if that's the right thing, but, but I've, I've experienced, I've tried it th- three times, uh, the first time was after some sort of body awareness training and, and 10 minutes after, uh, the patient just started looking at me and and he was trying to put a heart rate monitor down in a box and the box was upside down and and he kind of tried to put the watch down in the box and because it was upside down, it was impossible to get the watch in. And that was kind of, it looked like it tricked his brain to some sort of of um, a, a shutdown. I don't know how, how what exactly happens in the brain, and and then he had the cramp. Uh, uh, another patient, um, she was she was sitting beside me, and suddenly she couldn't. And that was that was after some warm up on on a bike, and then she went out, and and that again was like. I think it was 15 to 20 minutes after biking, she she looked at me and saying, if I go and, and get a glass of water, I would not know what to do. And I was like, excuse me? And then she cramped. So so I don't know exactly what happens uh, with the brain, but I think there must be some sort of an information overload uh, in in the multiple uh, cortex. That's really interesting, uh, yeah, uh, you probably find someone that will know a, a lot more about this than me
1: so while I have you, you obviously have probably some of the the best knowledge of of any in the in the world and what it's like to train people with lung cancer um there's a lot of clinicians and practitioners and health professionals that listen to this podcast that aren't specifically in clinics but look for ways to properly prescribe and monitor exercise can you kind of give an overview of for people listening you know what do you recommend particularly with regards to monitoring the exercise for safety and if you have any stopping points um specific to lung cancer they kind of recommend
0: yeah um so so we always look at um, their heart rate and their blood pressure Uh, and we always ask to infections if they have fevers and, and such before beginning the exercises, um, if they have, uh, and I don't know what, what it will be in, in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, if they have over 38, they are not allowed to be active that specific day. So that's, that's the only kind of red light saying that if you, if you have a fever, you're not allowed this day to be active. Not that we know that, that uh, the chance for infection is higher or anything, but, but that's that's just something we did from back in 2001, saying that people with fever should not be active. Um, so when we look at, at blood pressure and we look at heart rate, well, it it can't stand alone. It, it has to be if the patient tells you that they don't feel well, uh, they are too fatigued or... Um, maybe deconditioned of, of, of whatever they they can come up with uh when you look at the blood pressure we have the um, uh, systolic is it called that? systolic yeah, blood systolic, pressure? Yeah. yeah it's not uh, it, it can't be under 60 or over uh, no it's not just systolic it's the other one uh, diastolic. diastolic yeah it, it can't be under 60, no, under 45 or over 110. If it is that, we have to we have to ask more uh, into if they are feeling okay or, or whatever. And sometimes we can just wait like five minutes, take the blood pressure again, and then it's it's more normal. The same for the heart rate. If it's under over 110, and again, if they are not feeling well. We, we will probably be a bit more cautious about uh, how hard we push them this, that specific day. Uh, saying that, I think out of, of the, and I've probably have something around 300 to 400 patients through uh, the exercises. It's not something that, that we experience every day. I think in, in total for since 2008, I think I could count maybe 30 examples of, of patients we tell you're not allowed to train today. And again, if if people are are calling in sick, I mean, they will stay home if they're really feeling sick that specific day. So if people shows up, that is a good indication of they think they can at least do a little uh, exercise that specific day
1: that's brilliant especially with kind of as you said how infrequent some of these events tend to occur so yeah the the most of my experience with talking to uh, health professionals who are coming into this area is they themselves have a fear when they hear cancer and they hear the treatment that they're going through there is a fear of of kind of maybe you know uh, extra adverse events or more common adverse events that typically they don't happen as long as the exercise is done um, it's it's appropriately monitored and it's a safe prescription. You know the standard risks apply, but beyond that, you don't typically see um, any major adverse events.
0: No, no. Some sometimes you can have some sitting on a bike, and and they have pushed themselves and and they feel like oh I'm maybe uh, getting a little dizzy or, or whatever. But if you and I went on a bike and pushed ourselves to the limit, we might as well feel a little dizzy. So again, we don't neglect it, but but we'll just have some more eyes on that. Uh, we're sitting in a group. Imagine you're sitting like in a circle and you can see everybody on the bike and, and there's a nurse and there's me. So, so you have sort of eyes on everybody. Um, and you being a trainer, you push yourself as hard as well because you want to signal that to do this, you really have to to push yourself. Um, so sometimes you can see that that one patient is suddenly not looking that good. Uh, and then the nurse will go to that patient and say, are you okay? And then they'll probably just take some of the weight of the bike or, or slowing down a bit. And then after a few minutes... They, they can participate again. Um, but but you really have to think that if you did high intensity exercises yourself, well, you would probably also feel dizzy and, and not feeling that great at the moment, but afterward you will feel great. And that's the exact same thing they are experiencing.
1: That's such a good point. Um, and I think that that's the message I'm trying to get across from talking to you you know you've you've a wealth of experience in doing this, and um what what I try to continue to get across to people is is just like us pushing ourselves and us can get tired and dizzy and those things exist but doesn't that does not mean that we should treat people with cancer any different when we're prescribing exercise
0: and another thing again that's that's all about the approach uh both the nurse and the physio is always in trainers. Is always um, never in a uniform, but always in in sports clothes. Because again, this sends the signal that we're actually doing exercises here. Uh, if I was wearing a, a, a hospital uniform or something like that, I would send the signal that well, the training might be hard for you, but it's not hard for me. And there you all, to begin with, you have you, you have some convergence about uh, the signal you're sending because the patient will think, oh, I, I probably don't have to push myself as much as uh, he says because he's just standing, he's, he don't have to change to do this training. But when I push myself just as hard uh, so I can show them uh, that the idea of this training is actually to push yourself. It's it's easier for them to follow me uh, instead of looking at me thinking, oh, he, he's not doing anything. Maybe I should do the same. So so the approach is so important because uh, the signal when we're sending these patients is we want you to be active and we want you to be active just like I do. Um And we do that in all other classes. I mean, I I have never been in a fitness center where you will find an instructor standing in a uniform, not doing anything. And these patients just want to be like everybody else. I mean, they don't want to be patients, so don't treat them like patients.
1: It's it's hilarious that you say that because I have the same perception. Um, You know, if you go to any gym in the world, the trainers are in shorts and active clothes. Yeah, And then exactly. you go into a clinic and we're wearing slacks and a polo. And yeah. I understand yeah. the desire to look professional, but it's exercise. And you need to be able to move freely and you need to be able to teach the exercises. And you're limited in doing that when you're wearing slacks and dress shoes.
0: And, and just sending that signal gives the patient, patient the impression that, well, it might not be that hard, as you said. So, so... I, I think it's so important to to show them that this is hard for me as well. Not not losing your your touch with the the patient, so you always have eyes on them. But but that's also possible. You have to be a good actor sometimes. <laughs> um, so, but really, it, it sends it sends a signal uh, that is very important for these patients. And again, remember they they when they came from their doctor he told them that they were bound to die of this disease. So meeting a, a physio or another professional that actually treat them like someone that didn't have this disease, it means the world for them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And what I admire about you is is the fact that you're, you're leading a lot of these studies and you're still on the ground floor working out with the patients. That's something that is probably less common particularly when you get big research trials um, where you're still hands-on and everything
0: well uh, some might say because I don't know anything about research so it's easier <laughs> to be on the floor <laughs> but that's 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 um, that's really important for me that was actually why I became a physio um, we we're just about to submit the results from our randomized trial for it's called exhale with these lung cancer patient and it's been underway for like ages i mean we started included in in 12 and um, we just finished including last year now we have all the results and it, it looks very promising i can't give you all the details <laughs> unfortunately but but uh, one of our things we can see is that, that patients actually have a decrease in anxiety. The level of anxiety is decreasing through a 12-week program. And that's patient that are actually bound to die for the disease. So that's that's really interesting.
1: It's massive. And I know you've got some some really exciting results in the works and once they get published i'll definitely be dragging you back on the show to to get you to chat about them um but listen i i can't thank it enough it was it was a fascinating chat for me i really enjoyed talking to you and i think your perspective is one that's going to be really well received in in the community and uh you're doing some great work
0: thank you um lastly (laughs)
1: lastly really quickly how can people find you get in touch with you or or find out about your
0: work uh, Google me. <laughs> um, nice. I think it <laughs> should be, be, yeah, it should be, it should be possible to find my, my email address, and you have, everybody's welcome to to contact me. And should they be in in Denmark, uh, we always welcome people to come and see our program there's only one rule that is you have to be wearing sports clothes <laughs> so so seeing our program you have to participate and that's actually a rule we made back from from 2001 because if you go to a training with a lot of cancer patients and you're just watching them you'll talk at them and thinking oh it can't be that hard they are cancer patients but when you're sitting in a machine trying to do the same weight as they do, or sitting on a bike and realizing that they are actually capable of more than you are, that gives you a whole different perspective of what these patients are capable of.
1: Brilliant. Um, and listen, Martin, I can't thank you again for your time. Uh, keep up the good work. I'm hopefully hearing from you soon.